Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. It's David McLean here. Jan is not with us. Jan is on another of her overseas tours, probably picking up literature in all sorts of foreign climes. But I have my guest and we are going to indulge today because I'm off to the Hotel du Barry, which sounds French, but it's actually an English hotel. But it's a hive of sort of 1920s, 1930s decadence. Uh, and that's with my author today, Leslie Truffle. So, Leslie, welcome to 3CR. Good morning, David. Now, look, let's start with the cover of this book. It seems to be one of your favourite things. Can you describe the cover for us and what you like about it? Okay, the cover was done by Hazel Lamb of the um, HarperCollins Design Studio. And what I love so much about it is that she has clearly read the book, which is lovely. (laughs) And on the spine, she's got the logo of the Hotel de Barry Hotel, which is two gargoyles. Um, chewing on a shin bone. Uh, the logo of the Hotel de Barry reflects their Latin inscription, which is supposed to be, we live to serve, but it actually means death always wins. Would you like to give us the Latin? Can you remember it? I am not going to venture there, David. Oh, no. well, I haven't got the page for that, but it reminded me of um, Canterbury Tales, actually, the... the, the um, Nun who has a, a more omnit vincia, uh, yes. love conquers all yes, uh, sort of yes. thing. But you translate this, yeah, death conquers all. Yes. So go on with the cover. Uh, on the front, it's just very simple, orange-black silhouette. And um, Hazel's done a wonderful Mary Maguire reclining back, smoking a cigarette in a very laconic manner. And standing next to, I'm not quite sure, I think it might be Daniel Dubarry, who is the owner of the Hotel Dubarry. But he has a tuxedo. This is We've got to get into the sort of atmosphere here. Yes, yes. He was a man who wore a lot of tuxedos. It's a very, very stylish. It's an age hotel. that wore a lot of tuxedos yes. as well. Yes. And then you've got the chandelier. The swinging chandelier. Ah. <laughs> it's oscillating just above Mary Maguire's kneecaps. And, and the whiff of smoke rising yeah. into the air. It sort of sets the tone of the period. Yes, so we're looking at um, post-World War One. The novel opens in 1919 in the Hotel de Barry, which is basically a premium hotel overlooking the Thames River in London. Uh, due to the London height restrictions, it's only nine-storey high, but it's spread over several blocks. Um, you can get away with this when you're writing fiction. And below the hotel is a double basement which they call the Labyrinth, and this is where the hotel staff do their plotting and scheming. Well, you you sort of have an upstairs-downstairs type of uh, atmosphere going on between these two levels, and just if I can find it, 
Um, where are we? The hotel stood proudly on one of London's most prestigious streets and dominated several blocks overlooking the Thames. At night it was floodlit and fiery, a flamboyant mishmash of Italianate and Venetian architecture with a few quirky Renaissance and classical Greek elements added on. As a wedding cake, it was an architectural masterpiece of reckless proportions. Its nine floors soared effortlessly towards the ranks of sooty chimneys. Massive green copper gargoyles leered down from the pavilion roof at the pedestrians gazing upwards. The hotel's imperiousness made all the other buildings on the street cringe back down on their haunches. Its massive ground floor blocks were Norwegian granite and rivaled Stonehenge for solid solidity of structure. The exterior was built of Portland stone and put other hotels with their peeling stucco to shame. Some may never recover. This is the hotel you have created. It's like a character in this book. Well, I, I wanted it to be a character in its own right because the behaviour of the people in the hotel is often predicted by the hotel itself. The staff are damn proud of their hotel. And Daniel DeBarry is tough but fair. Tough but fair. But look, let's get back to this period in which you're setting it. What were some of the hallmarks? Because you make references to that post-World War One period, all the way through the book. What were some of the highlights of this period of time? And what makes you so interested in it? Okay, I was fascinated because they were very interesting times. Um, there's the obvious stuff like women getting the opportunity to demonstrate their competence in traditional male occupations. Britain's class system got a little bit of a shake-up. Um, for example, as war hero... Daniel DeBarry, um, comments to Mary Maguire, death doesn't discriminate between the classes. The foot soldier dies the same death as the general. Death always wins. Um, it was a new thinking in many ways of that age, yes, really. Yes, absolutely. But the modernist movement had started well before World War I. But the conflict and the scale of the brutality inspired many, many artists. Oh, right. But some of those artists were? So we're looking at people like um, Kandinsky, Miro, Picasso, who worked with the Russian ballet and designed sets as well as costumes. Um, and Daniel DeBarry also owns Bauhaus Furniture, um, totally modern, still looks modern nearly 100 years later, beautifully made. Um, and then, of course, there's the music that he got from overseas, American jazz, swing, blues, this sort of thing. So it's a whole new age that is emerging and arising out of... Uh, post-World War One, Absolutely. Uh, you, I mean, what I, I'm not as familiar with the artists, but you are making references there uh, to people like um, Noel Coward. Uh, you've, you've also got Oscar Wilde, who sort of predates uh, World War One, but that sort of uh, wit and intelligence taking place mm. as well. Mm. That's... that's What's your fascination with that period? Look, I just love that era. So, for example, if we're looking at Noel Coward, I mean, style, wit, intelligence, um, often very, very cutting, but always incredibly funny. He often hit the bone, you know, but the way he did it was just so brilliant. Um, I never get tired of Noel Coward. Well, his ability to play with language and oh, the innuendo yes, yes, yes. That, that emerges. And this comes out in your book because this is sort of an opportunity in some ways to talk about uh, the style you have. I'm going to do another reading and it's going to take a, a little bit of time, but we could perhaps then indulge 
in uh, the sort of your style and whether it uh, is tapping into this sort of uh, wit and um, play on language that, that takes place. This is the hotel. This is the foyer mm. of um, the hotel. Henri, who's the sort of um, concierge, Henri noted with approval that his front-of-house staff were shelling the clientele like peas. New arrivals surged around the reception de- desk, waiting their turn to sign the hotel registry. Two miniature poodles kept attacking the heels of their owner. Madame was luxuriously swathed in dozens of dead minks, and her raspy voice indicated that smoky rooms were her natural habitat. She stamped her heels and screamed, Milton, Byron, stop that, bad boy's bad. The dogs paused briefly before renewing their attacks with increased vigour. Henri shook his head. Ah, Mary, it's obvious that those bloody dogs don't know who the pack leader is. Madame informed me the other day that her darlings are very fussy eaters and only minced pork is acceptable to their refined palates. I suggested she should leave them with me and I'd have them eating kumquats within a week. A distinguished party of turbaned Indians and their wives swirled through the revolving door. The colours of the women's saris were a magnificent flurry of vibrant reds, oranges, greens and blues. Pure gold and precious gems dripped from every throat, ankle, wrist and earlobe as their coal-rimmed eyes gazed at the chaos around them. Their husbands' clipped Oxford accents rang out authoritatively across the foyer. Sashi, make haste. Where is Aisha's hand luggage? What's, what is the hold-up? It's really too much. I'm just dying for a gin and tonic. A plump child dressed in a sailor suit lay face down in the middle of her foyer yelling, No, 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 I won't, I won't, and you can't make me. His nanny tried to placate him and failed. She'd given up trying to attract the attention of the parents. They'd turned their backs and were pretending the brat wasn't theirs. A party of trouser-wearing matrons stared pointedly at the distraught nanny, who was close to tears. Valets and porters rolled their eyes at each other as they steered luggage around the boy. And so it goes on. You've got this atmosphere uh, taking... You read it very well. Thing. <laughs> I lo- well, it's, it's part of this indulgence that you get yeah. as well. But all the little references, the trouser-wearing um, matrons, um, it just struck me then. Are you referring to the rising f- feminism? Well, it's certainly risen by that. Yes, because women's fashions really took off. I mean, what we then went into is we went the very slow rise of the hem, which started at the ankles, and they used to comment on the beauty of women's ankles. Ah, we give up today. Um, and just kept rising towards the 20s, whereby women were wearing knee-length boyish frocks that completely obliterated their waists. So fashion really changed enormously. But this is what's going on all throughout the book. As I say, there were references to Noel Coward. You've got references to the art. You've got references to fashion. It's all part of this atmosphere that's taking place. You've got um, then sort of, uh, Milton, uh, Byron, stop that. Bad boys, bad boys. Uh, it, obviously those bloody dogs. You've, you've got this change of dialogue or commentary taking place which accentuates the sort of different classes still. The yes, observation yes. that's there. How were you able to get such detail? I read a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's probably my pain. I don't own a television. I just read. Um, and I'm deeply entrenched in film. And so whenever I get the opportunity and the classics are on and I do like to see them in a real cinema, I go. And um, Because nothing transports you like some of the older films, you know. 
Um, what was Noel Coward's film, for example, the one about... In which we serve or um, there were all where sorts the of... the ghost was involved. <laughs> um, now you've got... No. Oh, um, yes. And... Um, Oh, I can't think of the name. We've, we've both lost but it. It was, it was a play first um, and, yes. and such like. Yeah. But, I mean, he his were plays of manners and mannerisms yes. and the decadence of society, which often got him into trouble. But he commenting on the way people actually behaved, as did Oscar Wilde in many ways. Ah, that, Oscar Wilde. <laughs> Oscar Wilde. But, it, it, yeah. you know, when you um, read what... Uh, his plays or see them, yeah. people were laughing in the theatre, but ostensibly he was mocking in a, in a very mm. polite way mm. their pretense, the facade. Mm. And this book in many ways um, is a facade, shall we say, because not everything is as it seems. But pomposity is humorous. It is. It is. Yeah. It is. And it's really lovely to observe too. Mm. You don't even have to puncture it, you know. Now, well, when we get to this notion of facade, what is the background of the Hotel du Barry, which has this sense of charm and opulence and such like, but its foundations are built on something altogether else? Well, Maury Barry, and there was no du in his name, D-U, he added that to imply um, aristocracy. Maury de Barry, who is Daniel de Barry's father, founded the hotel. Now he didn't. He actually made his money in um, a very long string of successful brothels. Then what he did, which was especially clever, was he married a penniless aristocrat. So he's tucked the do into his name. He's married a penniless aristocrat. And what you could do in that time was that a lot of aristocrats had gone broke, and so what they used to do is they would sell their merchandise, the things that implied power, silver. Think of things: heavy silver items. Um, christening smocks, all that sort of stuff would be sold through the auction houses. And Murray Barry carefully buys up a lot of this stuff and it, he then adds the whisper to his name. So if, without claiming aristocracy, he actually owns it. But this was what was going on in that period as well. Yes. Um, where, well, Downton Abbey uh, sort of thing, uh, you, you marry a rich American heiress who gets the yes. title and gets um, the pile of bricks uh, sort of thing, which we can't afford to upkeep without the fortune. But there were people then that made their money in World War One, selling armaments and all of these. So, so a new aristocracy, a middle class aristocracy were emerging, but they were wanting the facade of mm. respectability. And this is then what's taking place. Because you say the foundation of the Barry Empire was brothels. It was definitely shaky, yeah. Shake. Dodgy, dodgy. But then what is the Hotel du Barry but a, a rather glorified brothel. Well, exactly, because polite prostitution is practised on every floor. So, um, And you've got the room service manager pimping, basically. You've got some very classy, beautiful courtesans servicing the entire hotel. And you've got a lot of the staff, gifted amateurs, who also provide quite a few services. But you've also got these women, these uh, society women, uh, yes, actually being... Yes serviced, shall we say? <laughs> so to speak. So to speak. Yeah, so Sean Kelly builds an entire um, fortune. With his black book. <laughs> with his little black book that he keeps snugly over his heart in his breast pocket. Well, this this sort of leads us into the characters then. Um, and, of course, your 
your main character makes her appearance on the very first page. And again, it's sort of half style, half introduction to the character. Some abandoned babies are dumped on charity hospital doorsteps. Others are found in dreary department stores or on grubby railway station platforms. But the infant known as the Hotel du Barry baby was found pegged to a clothesline. Not just any clothesline either, for this one was situated in the laundry courtyard of the magnificent pile known as the Hotel du Barry, a hotel so awe-inspiring and adept in the art of pampering that it featured regularly in the secret reveries of London's poorest citizens. Who is this baby pegged to the clothesline? <laughs> well, that's the linchpin of the whole novel. Yes. Is that Kat de Barry, who her father names Katerina Anastasia Lucinda de Barry, and then the staff shorten it back quite wisely to Kat de Barry, has been abandoned. At the beginning of the novel, we do not know who did this deed. Um, she later becomes, of course, a first-rate artist. And what happens is that the staff knock themselves out to try and find out who the hell the mother was. So it's one of the compelling uh, things in the story, and we don't want to give anything away, but who is Kat Dubarry in real life? Who pegged her to the clothesline? Um, Her parentage. So there's one element lingering in the air, but how did Kat get her name? As in, she was named after? Okay, so there was a... Champagne that's actually... um, Features prominently in the book. Somebody told me they tried to buy this in Dan Murphy's. I couldn't believe it. Um, It's a fictitious champagne. Oh, what a pity. Yes. Anastasia Lucinda de Barry. So the Lucinda wasn't there, but the champagne itself was actually called Caterina Anastasia, Imperial Brute Champagne. Um, And what Daniel does when he's getting half cut is he thinks what a wonderful name for this baby and he calls her Katerina Anastasia and then he inserts his mother's name in there, Lucinda. So this is how Kat gets her name. Just a reminder to our listeners at the moment, we're talking about the Hotel du Barry, or rather chuckling about it. The author is Leslie Truffle. We've done the background, or some of the background, of the period in the 1920s. We're on to the characters. So there's our, our uh, feature, one of the feature characters. But her father, then, is Daniel du Barry, but he's carrying baggage of his own. Daniel is is a very, very clever man. He has been highly educated, um, unlike his father who only ever basically read the form guide. Daniel's been to Eton and Oxford. Um, He's a keen, passionate devotee of the arts, but he's also, and this is where the flaw comes in, he's also a returned war hero. He led his troops on the front. He led them in Fromelles, which... um, I was reading the other day, and this applies to Australia rather than Britain, as apparently um, historians have rated as the worst 24 hours in um, Australian military history. It was literally, it was just horrible. We're not going to go there. But anyway, Daniel um, has what's now known as post-traumatic stress disorder. Back then, of course, they only ever alluded to it in terms of things like shell shock. So he has this incredible flaw. Um, which trips him up. But he's also a major philanthropist and the soldiers that are returning to Britain are often cared for by his um, philanthropy. You don't mention anything about his sexuality? Oh, okay. Um, Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I thought we weren't giving the plot away. Is it part of the plot? (laughs) Well, it's... 
It's part of his character. It is part of his character. Um, Daniel is um, has been in a relationship with a bisexual man, but Daniel himself actually, even though he marries, he's, he's definitely gay. Um, and what he does, because of the times, is that he conceals this by marrying believe it or not, the twin sister of his former lover. Now, the former lover is called Matthew Lamb and he dies in an automobile crash. Hmm. But in in some ways it's part of that background of the period where uh, homosexuality was not talked about and yet it was taking place, uh, but it had to be masked. But then this leads to um, the need for the uh, hotel detective, Jim Blade, to, you know, um, make sure that none of those that try and blackmail Daniel ever get away with it. Yes. Uh, so we yes. we have the hotel detective. But as you said, we've also got Edwina, uh, Matthew's twin, but she becomes Edwina Dubarry. Just to say this about her, she went to... Um, a tarot card reader who was a little surprised at the tarot reading that turned up, which will give you an indication of her character. I saw discord, ruin, chaos and death caused by cupidity, envy, desire and jealousy. Edwina forced to laugh. Oh, really? Any other horrors lying in wait for me? Celeste shuddered. Mental alienation, loss and duplicity. Sometimes events move beyond our control and the wrong cards are revealed. Pay no attention, Mrs Dubatty. Let me do you a complimentary palm reading. Edwina shrugged. Why not? It might be more amusing. <laughs> so this, well, that would give you a suggestion about um, Edwina's character, who do, who doesn't get on with Cat. Now, we better sort of uh, then point out that Daniel, uh, in terms of his philanthropy, doesn't send Cat to an orphanage, mm. nor will those um, downstairs working and and the the, the working classes want Cat to um, go to an orphanage. So basically she's adopted by them upstairs and them downstairs mm. uh, and, and um, given the, well, the love and support she wouldn't have otherwise got. Yeah, Ed, Ed, Eddie Lamb is very cold to, to Kat. Um, she cares about her, but she's not a woman who can demonstrate affection. But it's for appearance's sake in, to a large extent. The marriage is definitely, it's, it's a lavender marriage. Yeah, but then at the same time, there are one or two hints during the course of the novel, and perhaps we shouldn't give too much away, that Edwina, we can, we can feel some sympathy for her at some stages? We can. Um, how far do you want to take? Well, she's very kind to animals. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you reveal one or two things about her background, yes. which make us feel uh, slightly more... Consider it. Yeah, she had a very punishing childhood in that um, even though she and Matthew are twins and were born, you know, basically at the same time, her mother actually altered Edwina's age. And the reason she did this, she made Edwina older than Matthew so she could dispatch Edwina off to boarding school and get, get her the hell out of the way. Mm. Um, so Edwina felt negated from a very, very early age. Matthew is totally, totally indulged, and this is why he turns out to be the person he does. Matthew's the one that um, gets what he wants, and Eddie Lamb is used to not getting what she wants. So when she sees an opportunity to pounce on Daniel, it is she who suggests he marries her. Um, knowing fully well that he is gay, she can see the advantages in being Mrs. Dubarry. So again, 
uh, the duplicity yeah. that is taking place in society and the motivations of people. But you, you uh, in terms of um, the age, I mean, Daniel doesn't uh, summons Mary Maguire up to his offices. Mary has found this uh, orphan baby hanging on the clothesline. But it's, <laughs> it's this attitude that he takes that yes. sort of then compels the novel because rather than the conventional approach, what does he do? Well, he says, I'm sick to death of drinking myself at, senseless at my club. I yearn for a marriage. And he's also aware, too, that you can get away with a hell of a lot as a married man. Um, but deep down, he has a very deep affection for children. And he actually really genuinely wants to have a child of his own. And then also the way he treats Mary. So, yes. you know, here's a chambermaid, the lowest of the low sort of thing. Yes. But rather than dismissing her because of appearance's sake and, you know, uh, the, the implication, because it's not Mary's baby, although gossip would seem to suggest well, uh, Mary, help, Mary promotes that too because mm. she likes the idea. <laughs> but also then he helps and supports Mary. Yes, he does. Um, and, and so you get this change of attitude, mm. which a, a, a countercurrent to the social attitude of the day. And, and therefore, yeah. these people are developing, becoming, um, well, moving up in society in some ways. Well, this is part of what I, I, I was sort of getting at in a roundabout way with this class shake-up. Is, and Daniel actually says this to um, Mary Maguire. He says, you know, um, in, in, in war, he says basically the general dies the same death as a foot soldier. In other words, Daniel has learnt that um, really, ultimately, class doesn't matter. Now, he can't throw this out the window because of his position, but at the same time, he can very quietly work away, for example, with Mary Maguire and promote her um, get her better educated and what have you, so she can take a position way, way above her normal station But she's life. got the capacity oh, and absolutely. the intelligence absolutely. to be able to take advantage of that situation and fulfil that role yes. rather than be kept in her place, so to speak. But yeah. we've got a whole array then of characters in this hotel, as I said, Mary Maguire, Mrs Bertha Brown downstairs, Jim Blade, who's the uh, house detective, Doc Ahern, who sort of injects sedatives into these ladies that <laughs> overindulge. Sean Kelly, the gigolo, Henri Dupont, the, the concierge, Jules Bartholomew, Bartholomew, who becomes a bit of a love interest for Kat later on. So you've you've got this Penelope of characters <laughs> taking place there. Um, and But in many ways, they are more prominent than the plot line. Mm -hmm. um, this is not a play, a, a novel of plot as much as character and manners yes. because the threads going through Katerina's parentage, which we discover uh, as we go, but let's not give away mm. the book. We have the deaths of Matthew Lamb. We have the death of Michael, who is Daniel's lover at one stage. And we even have Daniel's death, which sort of becomes then a bit of a, a mystery intrigue. But these aren't necessarily as prominent as then this comedy of manners, perhaps? or Absolutely. Look, and the other thing is, too, is that I was determined to write a book that was character-driven. Um, and I always find observing people to be one of the best ways you can spend your time. Um, 
And I, I just really wanted strong characters who power the plot along, if you like. Yeah. Mm. But it's this play on language. I mean, Henri is talking to um, Edwina at one stage. Henri clicked his heels. I look forward to hearing your proposal, madam, and I do hope you enjoy Medea this evening. Euripides certainly understood the destructive power of a woman spurned. The Times theatre critic informed me that the actress playing Medea is so convincing she succeeds in making infanticide a rational choice. And it's the innuendo. Yeah, Ed, Edwina doesn't get it because she's so egocentric. She cannot even self-analyse herself. She just doesn't see it. And there are people in society. There, de- like there that. definitely are. Yeah, she's one, one of them. Yeah, there's one prominent person in America whom we won't name uh, who would seem to have similar traits, but we can't go there. Um, we're virtually running out of time. Quick word: next book after the Hotel du Barry. What have you got on the cards? Um, Look, it's currently being edited. It'll come out with HarperCollins in um, February next year. Uh, And it's a completely different book because it's written from the first person and it's set in Australia in Tasmania. Manners as well? Language? Oh, absolutely. I can't can't leave it alone. And and the period in which you've set it? (laughs) Uh, Sasha actually goes to the Hotel de Barry at one point. Yeah, she may pay us a visit there, but she's a few years in advance. And when she goes to the Hotel de Barry, um, Murray de Barry is still the owner. So it's a little oh. bit, the period's a little bit before, but at the time that she's writing her memoir, she's a memoir writer. Right. Which is how we learn about her life. Three volume novel. Uh, um, it's 1912. 1912. Look, Leslie, we're going to have to leave it there. The novel is Hotel du Barry. The publisher, Harper Collins. And uh, the authoress, or author, Leslie Truffle. Leslie, thanks for coming in today. David, thank you very much for having me. It's been lovely.